Welcome back to Above the Clouds, the podcast where we explore the latest trends and innovations in cloud technology. I'm your host, Daniel Humphreys, Head of Cloud UK at Lawrence Harvey, and today we're excited to welcome Tim Busfield to the show. Tim is the Data Engineering Manager for Jaguar Land Rover, where he leads the team responsible for managing and processing the vast amounts of data uh, generated by the world-renowned automotive brand. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the fascinating world of data engineering, from the challenges of managing data at scale to the latest trends in data analytics and machine learning. So thanks for joining us, Tim. How are you doing? I'm really good, thanks. Yeah, and you? Yes, yeah, very well, very well. Very excited to uh, learn a little bit about yourself and and, and JLR. Um, to start things off, could you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about your background and, and what you're currently working on? Sure. So I, um, as you as you mentioned, I, I'm data engineering manager, um, specifically within the the digital product creation team. So we build all sorts of data products uh, for, for for the business. Um, we work in cross-functional teams, so we have data engineers and intelligent automation, analytics, data science, um, all kind of working together on products that help the business make better decisions, um, you know, enable sort of an, an unearth insight and um, kind of optimize the way that we that we work as well. Is that is that sort of like business driven decisions or you know decisions for, the, for, for for customers and making their experience better or mix of the two where, where, where does it sort of lie mix of the two yeah so some of some of what we build helps um with with making the right things available for our customers um and uh and also kind of understanding our customers better um providing them you know more relevant messaging um, but then also uh, a lot of the focus is on internal operations, our interactions with our suppliers, um, with our partners, et cetera. So, yeah, a, a real range. Is this a pathway that, that that Jaguar Land Rover have been on for quite some time now? Or, you know, we're, we're sort of, what sort of stage are you guys in in, in, in that, that that journey of, of understanding the de- your data and, 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 and making making those those decisions from it? I think um, we've come a long way. We've had some some real successes, um, mm-hmm. but I think uh, you know, uh, for a business of this size and this age, we've also got some you know legacy stuff as well. There's there's a real range where we kind of run the gamut from you know cutting edge, being in the cloud, using um, you know the, the 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 newest and the most exciting tools, but then also having um, you know some kind of legacy estate and and. Uh, and, and we have to kind of work through that so that at the same time, we've got um, migrations going on from on-prem to the cloud, but we're also got other things that are, you know, well up and running in the cloud. So um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's a range, um, you know, of, of, of progress. And, uh, but I think we're, um, yeah, we, 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 there's still a lot for us to go after, even though we've mm-hmm. had a lot of successes. Yeah. I mean, Within your role, how how do you see you know uh, the role of data evolving uh, in well, the automotive industry specifically, and 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 from a JLR perspective over the next few years? I think um, I think addressing some of that that legacy um, will help us, uh, and also giving us better connections and interactions with with the with our suppliers, uh, with our 
dealers you know there's this kind of a whole sort of network um uh, around us as a business and i think uh we are, are really focusing on on some of those interactions so building the right apis and accessing the right apis um that our suppliers are providing accessing more uh external data data that tells us you know information about the market that we're operating in um so um yeah so so that, so that that's a focus i think as well is kind of going beyond beyond our internal data also looking at our connectivity um, mm. and the information we're sharing with others is there any bits of data that have that have really sort of stuck out to you maybe even like raised an eyebrow and you think bloody hell I didn't didn't think that that would that would come to fruition but the data's there um i think um i think we what one of the things that we we worked on for a while was was understanding um just the the, the wider um market in terms of uh you know which vehicles were were selling um, so accessing that that global data um, took a long time. We we spoke to different, um, you know, suppliers of data. There's there's a whole sort of industry out there now of of kind of scraping and bringing together data um, for for investors um, specifically, but but more broadly for for businesses. So um, accessing you know better information around around market conditions, not just for our cars, but um but for for our competitor cars i think mm -hmm. um has been been quite interesting yeah you've got to know what you're up against as well haven't yeah you? So, yeah yeah for sure i mean speaking specifically around you know you know jail large agro land rover and, and what they've been been known for as you know innovation and design you know for quite some time um how do you think data engineering and analytics plays a role in this uh and how do you see these these fields evolving um in, in in the near future yeah it's a really interesting question because you know the the designers are are are, are their own club in a way they you know they speak their own language and they have they they draw inspiration from you know all sorts of uh areas um that, we, that i think as a as a as a customer you might not even realize um and so I think, I think the, there's been a, a real kind of, and, and tech's been a real enabler for them in terms of being able to generate 3D models, um, generate kind of holographic images, be able to to really visualize in a much better way um, what the the design of the car is gonna gonna look like, how it's gonna feel. Um, so. It will be, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think, I think, one of the things is that you you you're trying to design for for a person, for a customer, um, capturing more data about those people, about the way that they interact with the car, the way that they interact with the vehicle whilst they're using it, and whilst it's stationary, um, all of that can then provide a, a you know really rich source of data. Um, the designers can use to kind of test some of the assumptions they make about the way that people use their vehicle um so yeah i think you know data is an enabler um and uh that uh being able to to like i say capture capture that information um 
yeah could could provide you know really really good kind of insights to to designers to kind of test some of the things that they um that they assume and some of the uh kind of conceptualizations they have of, of our mm. um owners I, I like i like the way you put it that way that it's a, it's an enabler because you know from yeah from a from an outside perspective in a way you sort of got the sort of two opposite worlds are two polar opposites in the sort of the analytical mindset and the creative mindset and you know the, the designers are all obviously artists in a way especially when you look at sort of the, the history of Jaguar the e-type and dating all the way back to those beautiful 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 cars then and the, the generation after generation Jaguar has been able to deliver and then you've got the sort of mindset of the, 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 the analytical data scientist and mm. uh, engineer and using that data to then sort of marry the two mindsets together to then come up with something which is both beautiful and and practical you know i think it's just such a powerful powerful uh way of working um yeah. i think as well um it's the it's the small details you know where where data can 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 have, can potentially have an impact um those those small insights that you get into the way you know even things like um the positioning of of the USB ports in a vehicle, or, um, or you know those those kind of small touches that make it um, more usable, um, make the it click kind of a seatbelt. <laughs> yeah, or if you're if you're taking your defender off road, understanding, you know what sort of activities people might be doing afterwards, mm-hmm. um, you know, and therefore, mm-hmm. what, you know, what accessories are they um, are they using, and and how how can the vehicle better support um, the different use cases if they're taking it off-roading it if they're taking it out into the countryside for for fishing or for um for, is it the for perfect height for a picnic camper well yeah that sort of thing yeah yeah exactly but Excellent. those small details i think you can enable yeah no that's awesome that's awesome um something that i, I saw quite recently um that Jaguar and Land Rover announced was was the creation of new engineering hubs mm. um, aimed at developing uh, next generation autonomous technologies. Um, can you tell us a bit more about either your role in that or the, or the initiative and, and and some some exciting developments that we can expect to see in, on on from that field? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I'm personally not not working in um, within those hubs at the moment, um, but. Uh, I mean, I remember when it was announced um, that we were going to have this partnership with NVIDIA. Uh, and um, so NVIDIA are the, you know, the, the partner for, for those uh, hubs. And very much a leader in the space at the moment. Yeah, exactly. So, I, you know, I thought that was really exciting and also very, very smart because to be able to build up that expertise internally takes a long time, takes a lot of investment. So to partner with a company like NVIDIA um, really accelerates kind of, you know, us getting to where we want to be mm-hmm. and and the nice thing as well is that it it feels like a true partnership it's not our engagement with them isn't just around delivering the thing that they're on the hook for delivering it's actually we're actually spending time with each other our data science teams and their data science teams sharing knowledge um so it's it's felt like a really you know beneficial thing already even though you know there's still a lot more to come Fantastic. Yeah, exciting stuff. Yeah, very interested to see uh, what comes out of that. Can you walk us through a, a typical day in, in, in your role then at JLR and some of the key challenges you may face 
uh, and some of maybe some of the exciting successes that you may face on a day to day as a as a data engineering manager for Jaguar Land Rover? Yeah, absolutely. So, as I mentioned before, we we're within the digital product creation team. So, uh, as a, as a sort of a wider team, each year we we talk to different parts of the business, and we have a we actually have a target in terms of this is the value that we aim to deliver um, for the business. So that might be an increased profits or cost savings. So we're talking to different parts of the business about where the opportunities are, about you know what a product that's going to solve a problem um, would look like, and that's really we've got a product management team that, that lead the way on that. Um, so then my role comes in a bit later you know i'm kind of linked to a few different projects um uh, along with other other members of the data engineering team and we we're then kind of building out the pipelines um that, that support those products at the same time we're talking to um the analytics team about the dashboard that they might build and making sure that we're providing the data in the right way we're talking to the data science team about the features that they need for their machine learning model, the cleaning that they want to apply. Um, and then we'll also, you know, keep talking to the business because, you know, requirements capture is hard and, you know, we'd love to get all the information we need up front, but that's not really the reality. So there's a sort of a, an ongoing conversation around making sure that we've got the right understanding, we've got the right data sources, um, the right um that we're applying the right treatment to those data sources because um, if you work in too siloed a way, you can be accessing this data without really realizing how it's being generated and some of the nuances of, of how it's being generated. So, um, so yeah, that's the the day to day is kind of focused on on the projects, but also on the people you know within our team as well. So mm -hmm. we have a range you know of, of individuals within our team um from you know really experienced data engineers through to grads um and apprentices that we're trying to spend a bit more time with and, mm -hmm. and, and invest in and we also have for the last few years run a, run a conversion course so taking people from other parts of the business um, and actually putting them through a bit of a boot camp where they learn some python some sql git you know a few other Excellent. things and then they then join our team as data engineers um and you know it's a bit of, it's a bit of a bumpy landing for them i think because they uh whilst they're really experienced in 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 professional terms and they know the business really well they're sort of dropped into this brand new role um so yeah and it's a part of it is making sure we're giving them the right support um giving them room to fail and learn through failure and not feel like yep. that's a problem um but also at the same time, giving them the right support, the, the right follow-up training. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, that's really cool to hear. Well, um, I think it's time for the main segment of the show. Uh, so this is the uh, where we move on to the Above the Clouds uh, rating. For, so for those who are listening at home and are new to Above the Clouds, Tim will be picking out three topics uh, from our magical cloud-themed hat that is off, off screen here. Um, and he'll give each topic a rating 
out of 10 based on how innovative and relevant he thinks it is to the cloud industry uh, at this time. Uh, so a score out of 10 means it's a game-changing topic. It's it's true innovation in the cloud. It is ergo above the clouds. Um, five out of 10 would be, yeah, it's cloud. It's, you know, it's data, technology, uh, but it's nothing new. And then while a score of one would mean it's uh, pretty irrelevant and outdated, not worth the hype and even a load of bull. Um, so to start us off, first topic, let's have a quick look and ah, very on topic, AI. So Tim, oh, great. AI, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to me? I mean, I... Um... I work in data engineering now, but 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 previously I, I worked as a data scientist um, at, uh, at Rolls Royce. So that was my kind of real introduction to to AI. Although I had you know done a small amount of optimization before that, so my career has kind of been always in the kind of tech data space, but uh, you know working quite quite a lot with AI, either directly or indirectly. Um, I think it's um, in terms of what it means to me. I, I think it's, I think it's hugely exciting. Um, I guess having been in, uh, you know, within working within the domain, I've kind of rode out this, uh, you know, the hype cycle. I don't know exactly where we are. We're probably at all stages of the hype cycle around different types of AI. But um, there was obviously huge excitement. Uh, you know, going back a few years about what we could achieve. And I think a lot of the, those hopes um, are yet to be realized, but I think we've, you know, there are some really exciting products out there. I mean, I, I, uh, I've kind of outsourced my music taste, you know, decisions to Spotify. <laughs> so if you ask me which Haven't bands I'm all? listening to, I don't, I don't know which bands I like, but, but Spotify knows. Um, <laughs> and uh uh, you know that the, there are some some really amazing products that just just wouldn't stand up you know without ai um and but there's there's still a lot more to come um absolutely yeah for sure from a you know uh an automotive industry perspective is there any you know exciting and, and promising applications that you you've come across or seen well, I think the one that everyone's aware of is is um you know self-driving vehicles mm -hmm. which um, people have been working on for quite a while now. Obviously, Tesla spearheaded um, a lot of that. Um, but now, you know, every automotive company is is looking at uh, self self driving cars. He made that um, open source recently, didn't he? Did they? I believe so. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe don't hold me to that. But I, I, th I thought I read somewhere that he made that open source. Elon. Um, yeah, I, he definitely open sourced quite a lot of tech. Um, Going back quite a few years that, ago, yeah, he's he's done done that progressively over the years. I think open sourced a lot of um, um, uh, yeah, a, a lot of their technology. Um, but I think now, you know, individual automotive companies are kind of working on their own solutions, and at the same time, there are a lot of startups um, looking at the same thing. But then the, beyond that, there there are other kind of interesting applications. Um, you know, around kind of inside the car as well. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and, and then and then there's also just the potential, I think, for, for AI to kind of transform the, the, the businesses that are producing the cars um, mm -hmm. as well. 
Yeah. Uh, can you give us any examples of how AI is currently being used at JLR, either, you know, to incorporate into vehicles potentially or tools that you're using to enable uh, your 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 day to day to be easier or, or, or enable those that decision making capability? Yes, I can I can tell you about one example, which is um, uh, which which some other people in my team have been working on for, for for a while actually, which is our recommended order bank. So we have dealers all over the globe, and um, we also have an incredible uh, amount of kind of options and configurations that you can apply to to our vehicles. There's there's a lot of customization that people can elect to do. Um, and uh, our dealers were, you know, were typically kind of, they would kind of choose, you know, a selection of vehicles based on experience or based on just choosing the same as what, what they'd chosen before. And um, we, as, a, as, a, as an organization, decided we wanted to apply a bit more kind of intelligence and a bit more support to them in making that decision so that that we were supplying them with the, the vehicles that they were going to be able to sell, you know, more quickly um, because they don't want vehicles sat on the forecourt. Um, and I think one of the key kind of, you know, uh, insights that's come out of that kind of generally across the, across the board is that um, it doesn't pay to, to choose the, 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 the cheaper kind of options mm -hmm. because we're offering a premium product people don't really then want the lowest end of that premium product. And so it might feel safer to go for a lower cost, you know, lower ticket mm -hmm. price item, but actually it, it, it may not sell as quickly. So um, that was one of the key insights, but then we're also, you know, there's a lot more, um, you know, customization in, into the recommendations we're making. We're looking at the areas of the world that people are, are operating in the, um, the, the types of climate, the, um, the you know, there's, there's all sorts of kind of um, geographic and um, kind of human um, sort of factors that we're, that we're feeding into this model in order to kind of generate um, a really good recommendation for the vehicles that they should order. Uh, and we've seen a lot of success with that. We've seen um, a lot of uptake, you know, around those, those recommendations mm -hmm. And you know, then reported um, in, you know increases in in sort of um, uh, time to sell. So yeah, 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 fantastic. I mean, that's that's one uh, that's definitely uh, an advantage <laughs> for sure. Um, do you in talk about sort of performance advantages potentially? Do you think that that AI will impact the overall performance and, and functionality of vehicles, you know, in the near future outside of, you know, autonomous autonomous? Do you think you'll know, be able to, you know, influence braking speeds and 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 that the more engineering side of the of the vehicles? Yeah, I mean there's definitely scope for that, I think. I mean, we people are already, you know, um some people have kind of dashboard monitors don't they around their driving style um mm -hmm. and i think there's definitely scope for vehicles to kind of um feed more information to people about the way that their driving style is is um is using fuel um or you know electricity um and and then in terms of kind of vehicle performance uh yeah absolutely i think i think um there's there's definitely scope for 
but kind of fine tuning the way that um, uh, that the internals are running um, as well. Uh, yeah. But and, and I think we've already seen, you know, some of that. Um, I mean, in terms of vehicle efficiency, um, you know, it's vastly improved. Uh, you know, even recently. So, um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, yeah I think sure. I think it's it's about trying to understand as well um you know exactly what people do and don't want to hear so you don't want to be you don't want your vehicle to be nagging them you don't want to give advice that people don't don't want but um yeah. if people are interested then then I think there's definitely scope for making that sort of, sort of information available do you think we'll see you know uh incorporation of of that sort of nlp natural language processing tools and generative ai in like chat gpt into in into vehicles soon yeah i think we will i think we will i mean um there there was a big uh there was a lot of excitement a few years ago around you know voice agents like alexa and, and mm -hmm. then the other competitors um a lot of people had them in their homes I don't have any stats, but just, you know, colloquially and uh, um, I get the feeling that, you know, some of that excitement might have died off because mm -hmm. people kind of hit the limitations of, of what a voice agent could and couldn't do. Um, I think LLMs, you know, offer the opportunity for those voice agents to to really um, improve in, in the scope and, and range of things that they can do. Um I mean, I, I would, as a vehicle user, I would love to, you know, to have kind of a, a more nuanced uh, conversation with my vehicle. Mm. Um, Get it to you know, pay that parking ticket. Uh, well, yeah. You. <laughs> or, you know, if, if, you, if you imagine you're, you're on a long drive, you might want to say to it something like, oh, well, I fancy this type of food. Yeah. Um, I don't want to... I don't want. I don't want to add more than thirty minutes onto my journey. But you, you know, given that the vehicle knows where you're planning to go, you know, can can you find me somewhere that's yeah. you know four stars or above, and it's not going to add more than thirty minutes onto my drive? Yeah. Um, can you avoid Stonehenge for me because I'm yeah. really stuck in traffic for two hours? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, you've got to make sure it's not distracting and that it's safe. So you have to make yeah. sure that. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I love the idea that that um, that these voice agents become a bit like a kind of a concierge for mm. you know, given that we are aiming at that that to deliver a modern luxury experience to our customers, um, to have the vehicle provide you know just that extra level of of service and of um, you know taking away some of the the mundane tasks that you that you might do as as um as a traveler uh you know mm -hmm. or as a, as a driver do you have a favorite fictional ai like jarvis from from mcu or what, what um, any sort of tv show or video game yeah it's always one. always was a favorite from the halo games back in the day <laughs> uh, yeah i mean they're often quite sort of they're a bit malevolent sometimes aren't they AIs? but some <laughs> some of them are nice i think I might be showing my age but um but maybe maybe Holly from Red Dwarf. Um, oh yeah, quite like Holly. It's quite funny, uh, and um, and 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 I think as well, it sort of shows a bit more. Uh, the, it's not realistic, but he's um, 
and and later she uh was uh you know not perfect and i think ai is not perfect and and often in fiction it's it's shown as incredibly sort of polished and i think uh it's quite nice to see fictional representations of ai that show that they're not that they're not perfect that they do degrade and they do um make mistakes if you could create one yourself yeah, mm. either for for Jaguar Land Rover vehicles or something else. What yeah, what features would it have? Um, I um, good question. I think um, so. My my background in in data science when I was at, at Rolls Royce was in um, was in predictive maintenance. Mm-hmm. So it was about taking data from in that case an an aero engine. And using that data to predict when when that that can, that engine needed some sort of maintenance and, and what kind of maintenance. So um, I, I really like the idea of you know our vehicles, uh, mo- you know monitoring themselves, um, identifying when when there might be an issue, um, and then you know going beyond that and you know if if everything's kind of if you've got some you know really kind of connected AI, then it could then book you know book an appointment at the garage for you and yeah um and, and when you get there it could you know provide the mechanic with well you know this is why I, the diagnos- I thought, diagnostics yeah some diagnostics and exactly and and, yeah. and and some get you know some some educated guesses around you know what the issue might be um you know and it saves you trying to have to uh replicate the noise that you think your car's making i've tried and failed that a couple of times Carl, um, what noise are you making mm-hmm. yeah yeah that one <laughs> so um but yeah again, again i think um uh just part of the, the, the excitement around ai is it's just the idea that it can take care of these things that that we don't want to have to to worry about you know and um uh and 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 do some of this stuff better than we can um and uh, to kind of free us up to to enjoy life and and to focus on other things to finish finish us off on ai do you have a would you is there a sort of a, a voice in mind of, or, or yeah who who would voice your ai if you had the choice um i um I mean, my, was it Samuel uh, Samuel Jackson, Samuel S. Jackson, or L. Jackson? Even uh, did uh, Alexa? I saw that. Oh, uh, right. Back, but yeah. Any, 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 uh, any favourites? Um. Hmm. No, I, I. Do you know what? I don't. I don't. I haven't used any of those uh, those voice AIs um, too much. I've used I've used Google Assistant, but. Um, uh, yeah, and no, I'm. I always uh, thought Mike, Michael Palin might be quite a good. Uh, oh yeah, that would be nice. No, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You, I mean, you want something quite soothing, don't you? You want someone with a nice voice <laughs> so that um, uh, it kind of keeps you calm when it doesn't quite understand. Or maybe um, some sort of famous mean. butler, like our right. ask yeah. Jeeves or something. You know? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it brings us uh, to the rating for AI. I think we sort of know which way this is going to go, but yeah. Let's put some scores on the doors. First rating of the day, AI. How does it how does it stack up in the clouds? How how high up in the clouds are we? Um, well, it, I I'll give it maybe maybe uh, an eight out of ten to show mm-hmm. that. I mean, it's not going anywhere, and 
it's uh it's it's already you know delivered a lot but there's still a long mm-hmm. long way to go so in terms of you know um its applicability to the cloud and and it's it's um yeah it's right up there it's right up there excellent fantastic wonderful stuff let's get on to topic number two so um multi-cloud sir okay so multi-cloud as a data engineering manager what would we what do we what do we think of multi-cloud are you a fan um i am a i guess i'm an open-minded uh skeptic so (laughs) i think you know within within organizations different people have different priorities um, as someone who's trying to get stuff done or managing people who are trying to get stuff done, single cloud provides a lot. You know, it's it, it's um, we get a lot of benefit from our cloud provider, from the integrations that they supply within their own, you know, different offerings, from working within the kind of security, uh, you know, bubble that or layer that they provide. Um However, you know, there are risks and there are um, um, kind of limitations, I guess, to, to using a single cloud provider, um, which, yeah, have to be weighed against the, the, the benefits of being able to kind of get stuff done with, with, with single cloud. So, um, yeah, it's, it's something that I'm kind of asking a lot of questions about at the moment, um, so. Sounds pretty. Sounds pretty fancy, doesn't it? Multi multi cloud. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, you think it's a bit. You think it's a bit of a big deal. You know, using more than one provider. Is it, isn't, it could be shopping around for the best deal sort of thing going on there, or. Yeah, I don't. I I think. Um, I think some organisations end up there by accident. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're big enough, uh, they you know people start different POCs or they start different, um, you know, endeavors and maybe one part of an organization selects one cloud provider, another one selects another. So you can end up in a kind of multi-cloud or maybe not true multi-cloud, but having multiple cloud providers um, kind of by accident. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you point. sort of don't need, need to kind of think, okay, well, um, at some point, uh, does this make sense? Um and I think for other people, it's really about trying to avoid um, vendor lock vendor lock in. Yeah. So people people are concerned about the size and the um, power and the influence that that um, you know one provider, one um, supplier uh, might have over them. You know, obviously they um, you s- sign agreements with with these companies, but then you have to renew them every now every every few years um and so yeah people i think want to hedge some of that risk around um them being able to to put the prices up um mm-hmm. too much i i don't know how realistic that um concern is i don't know um if if that's something that's that's happened in the past and that's where that fears come from or whether it's just a risk that people have identified um but uh, yeah, it's. Um, I, th- I think that's the the big driver. W- when I was working in my previous role for a for a SaaS company, 
we had to confront um, multi-cloud because we were trying to sell our solution to different companies and you know one company might want you to deploy the solution mm -hmm. into azure someone else might want you to deploy it into aws um, not normally because they've got a huge preference but because their it security have done mm -hmm. the done the, the legwork done done the analysis of a particular cloud provider and it makes it easier to then get that your your offering through yeah get that um, foot in the door yeah exactly yeah. so um i think for a SaaS company you have to kind of confront multi-cloud but for for a business who who are just looking to to use it for internal purposes um or you know for kind of b2c type applications then it's really about um i think thinking through why why you want multi-cloud and, and 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 what the um and where to apply it and then what the kind of um the impact of that is as well i mean are there any best practices you know that companies should follow when when sort of approaching that decision you think and and, and multi-cloud in general I think it's um I think the different parts of the business need to talk to each other and understand um uh understand the kind of implications either way. Um I think there's a bit of a tension between um you know, there's been this move towards managed services and serverless. And so people who are trying to build stuff want to build um on uh, you know, using components where they don't have to worry about the 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 management overhead of of of, of those you know underlying components that, that that they just provided to them as a service. Um, but if you go down that route with your single cloud provider, then that that stops you kind of then going multi cloud, and and then you're kind mm -hmm. of faced with a decision of well. If we do want to support multi-cloud, then um, we could go to a third party. You know, we could, instead of taking this offering from our cloud provider, let's take a similar or potentially better offering from a third party who can deploy it to AWS, they can deploy it to Azure, deploy, deploy it to GCP. And so if we need to change, you know, our underlying cloud provider, then then they can make that easier. But then you've now got an agreement with that third party. You're, you've moved from lock-in to cloud provider to lock-in to a third party. Um, so I think, to come back to your question, I think in terms of best practices, I think it's understanding where you need multi-cloud, where, mm -hmm. where, where is something so critical that um, you need to have some fallback from one cloud provider to another because there are outages sometimes for, for a given cloud provider. So where is something so critical that, that you need, you need multi-cloud, you need, and you, because, and then you have to, um, you have to accept building that thing in, in sort of a cloud agnostic way as possible so that you can deploy it across clouds. But then at the same time, identifying the things that maybe aren't so critical where you can, you can take a, you know, the, the risk that, actually we'll just deploy this to a single cloud um and we'll take the benefits that that cloud provider provides mm. and um you know because these things are valuable but if if they have to go down for a while then 
that's um that risk in is you know makes sense when weighed against um you know the overall benefit they're providing do you think data engineering and data science benefits from multi-cloud specifically um well i think um i think all of the different cloud providers are you know trying to push and improve you know their different um offerings around data engineering and data science and it's a it's a differentiator i think for um for some of them you know they mm -hmm. they provide different tools i mean because sometimes you hear people say that the cl cloud providers are all the same and they're all similar but they 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 do have important differences when it comes down to actually using these uh, you, you know using their offerings so mm -hmm. um yeah i think um I think it's it's definitely an area where they they're they're doing a lot of product enhancement, um, you know, around uh, around the underlying database sort of infrastructure that they've got for supporting data engineering and data science, um, around the way that the tools they've got for for actually building your pipelines for orchestrating them, um, and the offerings around kind of deploying. And managing, you know, machine um, machine learning models as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think, uh, yeah, it, and and it. So, like I say, it does make a difference. You know, which 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 cloud provider you go with in terms of what you can and can't do. Um, so, do you have a personal preference for the to enable your your own role? Um, I. So, uh, as a team, we 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 are building um, uh, sort of generally ELT pipelines we're using BigQuery we're using um, Airflow and, and GCP's um, managed um, managed uh, deploy uh, sort of offering around Airflow called Composer um, so that that's kind of what we use at the moment in the past I've used um, more of Azure's tooling um, mm -hmm. and um, yeah so I, I, I don't have a a preference necessarily it's more i think it's more around um um uh, as a as a as a team understanding the types of workloads or the types of things you're trying to achieve and then picking the right stack mm -hmm. and um the right tools and and then and then it and then you can kind of start to see who's strongest around that particular stack i don't think there's one cloud provider that's kind of strongest across the board um sure Especially between like the the big three AWS Azure and uh, and GCP, you know they they all do very similar things. At the end of the day, it's just different bells and whistles and colours and names, you mm. know, for the for the same functions. But uh, yeah, no, it's um, is it something that you think is the future of cloud? Do you think it's gonna you know be something that more and more organisations from the enterprise level? down to the startup level you know that will be adopting or you know is it only from one end of the industry that really needs to to, to utilize that type because i know there's regulated industries that you know obviously see benefits in multi-cloud and you know there's actually rules and reg regulations in place that, mm. that require them to have multi-cloud but that's sort of outside of those specific uh industry cases you know in, in a more general term do you think you know it's something that that we'll see more of an adoption of I think a lot of organizations are looking at multi-cloud and, but I think a lot of them haven't quite decided and understood um, 
why and to what extent yet. So I think um, we you you're likely to see some of them carry on on that journey and find you know some kind of multi-cloud uh, solution that works for them. And I think for others they'll go down the route of looking at multi-cloud and then eventually decide actually um, the the costs outweigh the benefits. Yeah. Um, or, or like I say, they'll, you know, choose a kind of uh, subsection of the things that they do where they really need multi-cloud and then the others, they'll sort of, I think, try and retain that, um, the operational efficiency of just being able to do things on single cloud. Would you agree that it's generally more expensive to than sticking to one? Yeah, provider? I think it is. I think they're, they're all, you know, different costs associated with it. There's the... Um, there's the fact that you're entering into agreements with multi-cloud providers and you're probably not getting this, the economies of scale. Mm -hmm. There's the um, internal costs of having people who are familiar with, with not just um, one cloud provider, but with, but with a range. So there's the training costs, the hiring costs, um, just maintaining that knowledge within the team. Um, yeah. And then I think there's the added kind of security costs as well, just to, um, it, it's it's it makes life easier if you're working within a single cloud provider. You've got that layer um, when you're trying to build things that are interfacing with um, with different cloud uh, providers. Then you have to take a bit more ownership of of that security side of things, and um, that that can uh, add a lot more cost as well. I think. Okay. Yeah. No, fair I, enough. I mean, the, the benefits are though, as you know. It, it, there are there are small it's always two sides to a coin right yeah there there are smaller cloud providers out there who offer you know very competitively priced kind of blob storage and file storage so there are probably in some cases savings to go after um and if you sort of fine tune the way that you're building and using different offerings from different cloud providers then i think there 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 probably are cost savings to go after as well and and opportunities yeah it sort of goes back to a discussion we we're having in the previous episode with Ryan Kirk from Formula One, where we talked around reverse cloud, where, you know, as, as long as you're not rushing into something and like you say, identifying the why first and then delivering a strategy against that, you're not going to run into the mistakes, the, the expense and, and then therefore, you know, like a lot of people did within the pandemic, just rushed into cloud, not specifically multi-cloud, but cloud in general, and then got burnt in some ways or, you know, did make mistakes. And then there's now a little bit of a backlash in the, in the, in the industry with this, this term reverse cloud going around sort of a yeah. similar sort of scenario to that, you know, multi-cloud again is another buzzword in the industry. You know, if you rush into it and make those mistakes and maybe it is the wrong decision for you, but if you understand the why, and then you know deliver against you know a well thought out strategy and 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 understanding of, of that then then you're probably in in a good place yeah absolutely cool so i guess that'll bring us bring us to a rating then so multi-cloud where does it where does it land um i think for me maybe maybe a five out of ten i think there's yeah. merit i think there's good reason to 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 consider multi-cloud but i think in a lot of cases, um, single cloud provider is is appropriate. Is um, you get more benefit, you can mm -hmm. build things quicker, and um, yeah. So, so I'll give it a five out of ten. 
Thank you very much. All right, then. Third and final, final subject. Let's have a quick look what the cloud ha has in store for us. So uh, data literacy. Mm, okay. That's, uh, that's a rather unique one that I put in there, a bit of a wild card. What, what, what does uh, data literacy mean to you and how important is it, important is it for businesses today? Yeah, so I, I think it's very important. Um, I think that, you know, teams like mine and the ones that I've been part of before um, can achieve a certain amount on their own. You, you know, there's opportunities to go after. But um, I, I, I think it's critical that organizations as a whole improve their their data literacy because data is being generated and consumed and analyzed across the business and you know teams like like the one that i work for certainly aren't trying to take ownership of data they're trying to provide um you know useful products useful things to the rest of the business um but uh yeah i, I think I think um, it, it is it is hugely important um, mm. because because I think there's uh, people are very much kind of self-taught in terms of the way that they use data, the way that they use tooling, um, and so kind of understanding where people are at, understanding how they are using data, and then trying to kind of provide some guidance around you know improving that. Um, is critical um, for, for businesses. Um, yeah. Do you support what the, the government was trying to do with fairly recent announce, announcements around making uh, kids and, and teenagers study maths until I think it was up to A level or or eight, you know, 18 to, to improve data literacy amongst you know, the general population. I, I'm not sure if that's still the plan. I think I'm, I'm maybe paraphrasing there a little bit, but I'm pretty sure that that's, that was something that they were putting out uh, as a message. And you know, do you think that that could definitely be a good thing for, for data literacy and as a, as a whole? And I think, think people um, get behind it as well. <laughs> well, I think, I think I support, I support the intent, you know, I yeah. think, uh, but whether that would have the desired outcomes, I'm not so sure. Uh, I think really it would be better to to provide some of that once people are into into adulthood. I think um, you know you, you hear lots of people talk you know po post school about well they didn't really I didn't really learn about taxes I didn't really learn about you know making investment decisions and um, I think once you're an adult being able to access that information um you know around kind of understanding numbers around understanding statistics it feels it feels a bit more relevant to your to your life and you can kind of relate it to the decisions you're having to make about you know do i take a loan out what's the implications of that for me so um so it's yeah um so I, I think I, I I support the the intent, but I don't know if it's the the best way. I think of of, of improving that. Um, yeah, I think I agree with you on on that front. Is that something that 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 JLR is doing? You know, you were talking about your your grads and and um, the apprentices 
uh, yeah. coming into the business? Is that something that you, you know, is that something that they start on straight from the off or do you, you build them up to it? Or they do, they, do they even come into the business with, you know, do you look for that before they even enter that, 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 that uh, development? Well, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, we have um, grads who've come from, um, I mean, some of our graduates have got, you know, PhDs in astrophysics and others of them have come from more humanities degree background where they probably have had to do some statistical analysis still, but not the, you know, not consistently throughout their undergraduate degree. So we have a range of people coming into the business um, and specifically to to our kind of digital um, graduate program. Um, which I which I think is is really important as well because um, you know data is about more than just the, the numeracy side of things. But um, uh, and then in in terms of other things we're doing, uh, we are running a um, a sort of a data fellowship program, um, which uh, is kind of I think the first cohort coming up to the end, or or they're well underway anyway. So that was in partnership with company called multiverse so that that's different to the thing that i was describing before our conversion course is about bringing people actually into the data engineering team whereas mm -hmm. the fellowship is about enabling people who are going to go back to you know whichever part of the business or, or role they were in before but with some additional skills to help them um you know use more appropriate tooling for the for capturing and transforming and providing data and for for visualizing it as well so I think again they they, they learn some python sql some tableau um uh we're we've got a really um productive kind of partnership with with tableau um and you know one one of our um we, we won a few awards at um at the data iq awards last year and one of those was for awesome. a lady called amy Ryder, who's who's the, who really champions the use of tableau uh and 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 not just for for its own purpose but as, as a kind of a way to um to really uh drive kind of some of these data literacy um, um enablement across the business as well so um, for our listeners out there who are potentially maybe at the start of their their journey and you're know, looking to improve their their data literacy skills is there any one tool or technology do you think that they you know they should should really sort of focus on well i think um if you want to do stuff with data then i would say sql and python um and uh and then i think as well you know more more broadly um I think so yeah so so python because it's a great programming language to learn as your first programming language um and once you've once you've learned python you can do so many different things with it sql see specific to to getting data out of databases and sql databases and transforming data and um sql even though every few years people say it's, it's dead it, it's um <laughs> it's kind of the um the you know, it's the foundations of a lot of even, you know, very modern databases use some variant of SQL. Um, yeah. So th those are two um, two things to really invest in, uh, I would say. Um, and then just more widely, I think, I think one of the critical things that, that, that we, when you think about data literacy, you're trying to kind of get people to understand is, is when Excel is appropriate and when it isn't. 
So um, I think one of the things we have to be careful about is demonizing people or being a bit snooty about their use of Excel, because that's what they've, if people are doing incredible things with Excel, you know, mm. with, with macros, with VBA, um, because that's the tool they've got available to them. Um, and but I think part of the a part of a data literacy kind of agenda for an organization should be about um well firstly giving them some acknowledgement and praise for what they've managed to achieve with 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 tools that aren't optimal and, and then understanding why Excel, you know, isn't necessarily the right thing to use um for 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 uh, you know some of what they're doing mm-hmm. and then and then introducing them to the right, you know. Different tools, different options. Um, probably, you know, cloud-based, um, and yeah, I think giving them them that understanding, um, and and then kind of enabling them to go and use something something more appropriate. For sure, for sure. I mean, what is also a brilliant, you know, as much as Excel is obviously limited for, for trying to doing, you know, certain certain things that you're probably up to, which I have no concept of. Uh, it's definitely a great gateway, you know, for someone like myself mm. who, who who doesn't have an idea of those 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 larger functions uh, to to start, you know, boiling down data and 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 coming up with some insights and. Uh, uh, you know, just from even a small set of data. So, yeah, great tool. Um, is there any common misconceptions around data literacy that you know that you know of, and yeah, how can they be addressed? Um, I think um, I think I think there's kind of um, there's kind of two conflicting misconceptions in a way. I think sometimes people think or data literacy, you know, they kind of rule themselves out of that. Maybe that sounds a bit too hard or a bit, you know, outside of what they do. Or they think, well, I, that doesn't apply to me. I know what I'm doing. And I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I think people, you know, across organizations, they know their, they, they know their, their data or they know their domain very well. And so they have an understanding of the data that you know someone like myself wouldn't because they know how it's being generated they know what it means to different people um but it's just about treating it the right way and um and i think what another another kind of misconception is that the data literacy is just about what you do when you get the data um i think a really key part of it certainly from perspective of data engineer is about the people who are generating that data. Um, you know, a lot of data gets generated by human activity, by people entering information into systems, and they are maybe disconnected from what happens with that data, you know, when it arrives, you know, all the way through to a dashboard. Um, and um, I think there's then there's a kind of a, a big part of data literacy agenda should be about... Um, just making people aware of, of the the part they're playing in in generating um, that data that's potentially very valuable, but also potentially kind of useless or misleading if if it's not handled in the right way, not governed in the right way, and and, and not entered you know properly. So um, it's 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 yeah, it's broader than just how to analyze data or you know statistics. It's more around just how as an organization should we be treating data 
and what what part does everyone play in that you know we talk a lot about data literacy you know um and 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 people coming up to speed with the lingo and the terms that 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 the industry uses and the specialists use do you think there's a role to play from the industry side and flipping it on its head and and introducing more understandable more like layman's terms uh ways of understanding data and making making data literacy more accessible um to to people who may be not so well versed yeah absolutely absolutely i think um i think especially you know as they're going on that kind of learning journey um taking the time to kind of clearly explain the meanings of things i mean like you say there is a lot of lingo um and even the lingo can can vary depending on you know where you are so (laughs) uh, you know sometimes people in the same domain can be talking to each other and um and, and not quite understand so yeah absolutely i think um i think that's that's key um i also think that um uh yeah it's keen to kind of listen to people as well and understand kind of their perspective on um why they are doing things the way they're doing them um and not just presenting it as you know this is the right way to do it and the way that you've done it yeah it's wrong but also trying to take some time to to, to understand you know why people are doing the, the things they're doing okay cool maybe one last question you know do you what, what role do you see data literacy in playing in the development um and deployment of new technologies like ai like we talked about but also like internet of things that type of thing yeah so i think i, I think around ai it the better the data literacy of an organization the better the data that they will generate and therefore the the, the better the ai can be so um you know people use that phrase like you know garbage in garbage out and mm-hmm you can apply you know within your data engineering or your or your machine learning um model uh, structure you can apply a level of cleaning um but that can only kind of get you so far so um yeah i think a really data literate organization uh will, will produce better data mm-hmm. um and then on the flip side you know will will be able to make better decisions um off of that data will understand a you know a bit more of the the nuance of what they're seeing um you know being reported um will be able to ask better questions and have better mm-hmm. in- interactions i think um uh and then in terms of the iot side of things uh as well i think um yeah there's a huge uh huge kind of opportunity for iot to to also generate some of that that you know better data mm-hmm. um uh you know wh- where people are capturing information obviously that's you know relatively discrete activity but getting in more and more iot data from 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 vehicles from factories from plants um uh yeah gives gives a lot more opportunity for 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 some really interesting ai and uh insight cool so for the rating i think you know data literacy is obviously quite a broad subject I and mean, maybe if we dial it down to the importance of mm. data literacy 
How does that stack up in in the cloud rating? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's hugely important. I think um, you know if, if you think about some of the the early things as an organization you might do with the cloud maybe less dependent on data literacy but if you as an organization are trying to 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 transform you know trying to do digital transformation trying to be data driven or data enabled across the board then um it's 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 incredibly important that the, the data literacy of of the entire organization is you know understood and improved and developed over time so i'd, I'd give that um maybe a seven seven out of ten Seven, yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. So uh, AI comes out on top then for your score yeah. of the day, eight out of ten. Yeah. Nice, yeah. nice, awesome. Okay, let's move on to uh, my favourite part of the show, top of the ops. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's quite a fun little bit of fun um, where Tim is going to uh, uh, go and share with us his favourite cloud related or data related tech concept or practice ending in ops there are so many to choose from these days we've got green ops rev ops and live ops which are a few that i heard recently um tim is there a, a favorite ops for you and, and why is that so well i'm sort of tempted to say devops because um i think it's it's solid you know, solid choice incredibly <laughs> mature um but but i'm gonna say ml ops okay because um because I think uh, it's just a very interesting area. Obviously, it's been talked about for a while. Uh, I think people recognised, you know, quite a long, you know, quite a few years ago that that there was a need for, you know, creating a really good framework for deploying um, and monitoring and redeploying, retraining machine learning models. Mm -hmm. Lots of people have entered that market there are some big players you know the big cloud providers have got their offerings around mlops a lot of startups in that space but i don't think anyone's really nailed it yet um mm. in terms of delivering the complete tool that's everything that a, a data science and you know machine learning engineer would want and so um you know i think there's there's some good tools out there that deliver some of what people would like, you know, in different areas. Maybe some are stronger on, um, some are stronger on providing a, sort of a playground or a development area for, for, for the data science machine learning practitioners to create their model. Some are stronger on the on the deployment front or visibility front. But um, yeah, I don't think there's one that I've seen that really pulls all of that together as like a full stack kind of mm -hmm. um offering across the board so um i think it's a really interesting area and one to kind of keep an eye on to see if any one tool emerges as as the de facto choice um mm -hmm. because i think at the moment different teams are using different mix of 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 of, of, of these tools you know embellished with their own kind of in-house stuff so um yeah uh, and you know, in terms of my my background, um, being at Rolls Royce, we we uh, when when I was there, and this going back a few years, we had a very sort of bespoke um, uh, sort of framework for for deploying our machine learning models. Um, and I think I think some people are yeah still still kind of working that way, still um, still kind of taking care of of the MLOps side of things themselves. 
how long has it been around for when, when or, you know when did you first hear about it even um i think probably about about six or seven years ago first okay. heard about it um and um yeah i think um so i think it's better understood and i think obviously that you know the, the the tooling's improved and um and i think but i think that process is quite iterative you know mm -hmm. i've used a few different tools that, that kind of got developed by some of the cloud um providers and then and then they didn't really get the traction that that um that they'd hoped for and then they kind of retired them so i think people you know better understand you know what what ml ops is the idea that you you don't want to just deploy your machine learning model you know and, and just hope for the best you want to have something that's kind of monitoring that making sure that it's not drifting too far making sure that it's still you know if there's some big you know stochastic shock to the 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 environment it's operating in or the, the where the data is being generated that it's still producing sensible results even mm -hmm. you know even if the there's some you know financial crash or um, you know, all these, these kind of discrete events can 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 Rock turn your model. Yeah, turn your model from something that's behaving pretty well because it's trained on you know data that's pretty steady, and then all of a mm. sudden, the the real life data being fed to it is 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 you know quite drastically different. Um, and you know, and and then and then if you want to get the best out of your data scientists, and you don't want them to then have to retrain that model from scratch so yeah the idea that something could be monitoring can re uh retrain that model based on um uh, on more recent data and then you know based on some rules that you've put uh in terms of its performance can then decide whether that that retrain model is appropriate for deployment or whether actually someone does need to intervene and, and actually have a bit more of a look because even once it's retrained, it's, it's still not performing um, as well as you want. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think it's moved forward in understanding and it's, it's, it's just incrementally getting there. But I think there's, um, there's, yeah, like I say, st still waiting on that, on that, that MLOps tool that, that does everything for everyone excellent so envelopes top of the top of the ops for you today fantastic you know particularly pleased that you chose that one because that's one i was i was personally particularly interested in learning right. more about so thank you very much for for sharing um so that, i guess that's a wrap for us today uh guys um to do to those of you out there thanks very much for tuning in hopefully again if not please do check out the first episode um and, and we want to say thank you very much to, to Tim for sharing his expertise uh, with us. We hope you enjoyed the show and stay tuned for our next episode. We'll, we'll have yet another exciting guest. Uh, so don't forget to also like, share and subscribe. A little cheesy plug there um, to the podcast, wherever or YouTube or wherever you're watching or listening uh, at home and follow us on social media as well. Lawrence Harvey LinkedIn and my own uh, LinkedIn to stay up to date with the latest updates. So before we go, Tim, do you have any final thoughts or takeaways, a hot take, so to speak, for our listeners? Hot take. Um, I, I get one that's quite personal to me, I think, is I don't feel like people talk about optimizers enough. I think optimizers are a really interesting branch of AI. Um, you know, machine learning gets all of the the limelight all of the the headlines 
I think optimizers are incredibly interesting and potentially very valuable. And in terms of cloud, you know, um, you know, very applicable because when your optimization becomes a bit more involved, it, it, it starts to, to need some serious compute. So, um, yeah, I think people should be talking about optimizers doing more optimizations. Um, that's my hot take. Well, there you go, folks. Well, Tim, thank you very, very much again for being our guest today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Um, thank you thank very you. much for uh, for joining us. And uh, we'll uh, hopefully see you again at some point in the future. Um, and to everyone at home, thanks again for listening. Goodbye. Hello and welcome to Above the Clouds, the podcast where we explore the latest trends and innovations in cloud technology. Hosted by myself, Daniel Humphreys, each episode features candid conversations with a whole host of industry experts from different businesses and perspectives who are driving the future of cloud technology. From sustainability, web free and AI to Kubernetes and cloud security, we dive deep into the buzzwords and trends that are shaping the future of the industry. Hope you enjoy.